Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. You know, back in 2018, Hurricane Michael pounded the coast of the Florida Panhandle. It was a Category 5 storm, you know, hit, hit ground hard, blew everything away, caused something like $25 billion worth in damage. I think 43 people died. It was a massive storm. And among the hardest hit areas was the oceanfront community of Mexico Beach. But amidst all of the rubble, the houses with roofs blown off and just the foundations of homes left there, there was one house on Mexico Beach that looked like it was still brand new. It was a home built by two men. They called it the Sand Palace. It was their dream home. And these two guys, they built this home in mind for a storm to hit. They put in the extra work so that it could withstand 250 mile an hour winds. It was built on concrete and reinforced steel and rebar, and it was set up on pilings high enough to be able to to elevate over the storm surge of seawater that typically comes with hurricanes. And after Michael was done and three-fourths of Mexico Beach was reduced to rubble, this house was still standing. And they interviewed the guys afterwards, and they said, we built this house with the big one in mind. We just had no idea the big one would come so fast. They knew a storm was coming, they prepared for it, and it paid off. And I think the same thing is true in life. There is a storm brewing on the horizon, and we all know it's coming. But who among us are going to prepare for it? Who among us are going to put in the hard work to be able to withstand this onslaught so that we could say, after the storm passes, my house is still standing? Today, we wrap up a message series about persevering through the harshest of storms. And today, I want to look at the lives of two men who faced an incredible storm in their own lives, and yet they were able to remain standing on the other side of it. Their names are Paul and Silas, and their story can be found in Acts chapter 16. So, if you have a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, why don't you make your way to the New Testament book of Acts, and we're going to jump into the life of Paul and Silas as they touch down on the shores of Philippi in ancient Greece. Acts 16, we'll begin in verse 16, it says, Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. Now, this is one of the many accounts from the life of the Apostle Paul, someone who once made it their life mission to destroy the church, but God got a hold of Paul's heart. He surrendered his life to Jesus, and his mission changed from destroying the church to building it up. And so Paul went out into Europe to spread the message of Jesus. And in this case... He was in a place called Philippi and came across the path of a young girl who was under the command of a demonic spirit. Now, in those days, oracles were quite common. They were supposed to be fortune tellers or revealers of the future. And what they would do is they would move in these 
chaotic movements and they speak in these loud voices screaming and people believed among the words they heard were predictors of the future. And what made this particular oracle that Paul and Silas encountered unique is that it was a child. People had never seen something like this before. This young child was under the command of a demonic spirit, so her voice was likely uh, something that you wouldn't be used to hearing from a child. She was probably loud and chaotic. And here is how she responded when she came across the path of Paul and Silas. Verse 17. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Pretty interesting statement that these men are servants of the Most High God because in ancient Greece, this was a city with thousands of gods. You probably learned about it in high school. And yet even the demons testify that there is one God above them all. And this went on day after day. You know, Paul and Silas were, were likely trying to just keep a low profile. They were going to the place of prayer. They were essentially going to church. But then day after day, this little girl would get in their path and start causing chaos and commotion and all this unwanted attention. And I just wonder if her slave owners, who knew how to make a buck off this girl, saw a couple of foreigners in their city and got dollar signs in their eyes. You know, I've traveled all over the world, and I've been through all kinds of markets, and uh, every single place I go is similar. When they see an American, they go after him pretty quick. In fact, just a week and a half ago, I was walking through the streets of Jerusalem through a little market looking for some souvenirs for my kids, and this, this shop owner got a hold of me, and he started laying it on thick. And everywhere I've gone in the world, there, there must be a universal guide for how to accost Americans. They all say the same thing. My friend, my friend, please, I have a very special deal for you. And then they go on to try to sell you something exorbitant, right? He was trying to sell me like a $400 chess set. I'm like, no, 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 I'm good. And so the more you say no, the more they reduce the price. And so this guy has me sitting down in his shop. We both have little cups of coffee. We're talking about life, and he's giving me his best sales pitch. And I just keep denying him. I'm not being rude. I'm just like, no, no, not interested, not interested. And then he goes for the jugular. This is what they say all over the world but I have children to feed. I'm like, yeah, me too. That's why I'm not buying this chess set, right? Can't you just see Paul and Silas with this girl in their path, and she's screaming, these guys, these guys are from serving the Most High God of the shop owners coming over and say, Paul, my friend, we have a great deal for you. For just $500, have your future told. You know, apparently, this girl had the ability to, to predict the future. We don't know if that was true. We just know that their owners were making a lot of bank off of it. And every single day, this kept going on. This, this girl would get in the path, disrupt, cause all this unwanted attention, and finally, Paul hit the breaking point and said, enough is enough. Verse 18, finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. So we don't know what snapped in Paul. You know, maybe he got tired of being disrupted every time he tried to go to the place of prayer. Ever notice how many distractions come up in your life when you're on your way to church? Maybe Paul was getting scared that people in the city were beginning to associate Paul and this evil spirit. Or maybe he just got tired of seeing a little girl enslaved and under demonic oppression. We don't know, but what we do know is that in the name of Jesus, he claimed a 
authority and exercised or, or cast this demon out of the child, and immediately she was set free. Her whole demeanor would have changed. Maybe her, her voice returned to what you would hear out of a child. Maybe she started crying for her mom, or maybe she gave Paul a hug. We can't know for sure, but what we know is that this girl was instantly set free, which was great news for her, but very bad news for Paul and Silas. Let's keep reading. Verse 19, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. This is what we call mob mentality. And all it takes is for the loudest voice to turn a whole crowd. And the card he played was the race card. You see it in his words? These Jews, our city. Racism is as old as sin. These people are coming and crossing our borders and destroying our way of life. Blame the foreigners. And it, and it worked, because look at verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. You want to talk about a storm. I mean, there was no trial, no investigation, no opportunity for Paul to even defend himself. Instead, they had their arms tied down to a post and their bare backs and the bottoms of their feet would have been exposed. And soldiers would have taken these large wooden-like rods and struck them time after time across their back. Now, in Jewish regions... The maximum amount a person could be flogged was 39 times, up to 39. Most people couldn't get there. But they weren't in a Jewish region. They were in a Greek region. All bets were off. We don't know how many times they were hit. It just tells us that they were severely flogged, whack over whack, welt over welt, until their skin would eventually break open and start bleeding. It says, then they were thrown in, into prison and they were given wooden stocks, which were these structures that spread your legs so far apart that you essentially could never get comfortable and go to sleep. And they're put in the inner cell, which was an underground prison cell that was pitch black, no ventilation, and the odor of the underground sewer system would have been everywhere. Talk about a storm. And now the reality is that most of us are never going to experience anything quite as severe as what Paul and Silas went through. But there are a lot of us who are going through our own storms, and they're still painful. And for some of you, that comes in the form of getting news of a family member who's in trouble yet again. Or maybe you, your health took a bad turn. Or maybe you received an unexpected bill. Or a close friendship fell apart or your job went from bad to worse, or you're fighting for custody for your children. These aren't just examples I'm coming up with from the top of my head. I know you're going through them because I read the prayer requests that get submitted every week. These are the kinds of things that our church is carrying. I know you're going through the storms. And when we face these moments, this is when our faith gets tested. This is when we have to dig down deep and say, how much do I really believe in Jesus? 
How much do I think that God is real and that he's worth following? That's a storm. And that's where Paul and Silas found themselves. Let's continue to read in Acts chapter 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. So this wasn't just a coincidental coincidental act of nature. This was a miracle because every single door of every single prison cell flew open and every single chain on every single prisoner snapped in half. This was a bona fide miracle. Verse 27. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. So back then, the way that the magistrates incentivized the jailers to make sure no one escaped was to threaten them with the same punishment the prisoners would get if anyone got out. And so when this jailer awoke from the earthquake and saw that every single prison cell was emptied, he made a value decision. He would rather die than go through what they just made Paul and Silas go through. He decided he would rather kill himself than be flogged, put in stocks, and thrown in the inner cell. But Paul intervened. Verse 28. Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Apparently, none of the prisoners went running for the exits. They were probably so in shock of the miracle, they just followed Paul. And so Paul assured this jailer, you're not in trouble because all of us are still under your command. And how do you think this jailer responded when he saw the incredible generosity of Paul and the power of God on display? Verse 29, the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? You see, when you start to become more aware of your own mortality, or maybe you even had a brush with death like this jailer experienced, you start asking life's most important questions. And there's no more important question than this. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to have my sins forgiven? To have peace with God? To have confidence that I'm going to spend eternity with him? What must I do? And the answer that Paul and Silas gave is the simple gospel message of Christianity. Verse 31, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. This is the message of Christianity. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Believe that you can't save yourself. Believe that God is who he says he is. That Jesus did what he said he would do, that he would die on a cross and then raise back to life, believing that Jesus died in my place. That's the gospel message. And if you want to be saved, it's that belief right then and right there. And so what did this jailer do? Look at this. Verse 33. It says, Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all others in his house. That's why Paul said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, you and your household. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his whole household were baptized. So everyone in his house heard the same gospel message preached. And they all by their own will surrendered their lives to Jesus and were baptized that very night. What a scene. The the very prisoner 
that this jailer bound up was now the one baptizing his whole family. I mean, this is an incredible story filled with surprising twists and turns. So, so what, what do you find the most surprising? Maybe it was the fact that a demon possessed a young girl. Or maybe it was the fact that Paul cast out this demon in Jesus' name. Or maybe it was the fact that Paul and Silas were, were thrown in prison without a trial. Or maybe you're most surprised by the earthquake. Or most surprised that Paul stepped in and prevented a suicide attempt. Or most surprised that this jailer and his whole family gave their lives to Jesus. There's a lot of surprising elements about the story. But you know which one surprises me the most? This part right here. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. How do you get there? I want to know how to get to that spot. Because look, I get it if they're praising God after the miracle. I get it if they're praising God after the earthquake. Thank you, God, for sending the quake. The doors are open and off with my chains. You know, I get that part. But listen... They weren't praising after the miracle. They were praising God before the miracle ever happened with no expectation of ever seeing the light of day again. How do you get there? Paul and Silas were the proverbial house that withstood the hurricane. And I want to know how I could be the kind of person who, despite utter pain and utter darkness and utter hopelessness could still rise up and worship Jesus in the storm. How do you become a person like this? You know, so all this week I've been digging into the scripture and talking it through with pastors and staff and, and I think there's a couple of things that were present in the life of Paul and Silas that you and I can take and incorporate into our own lives. And so if you want to be the kind of person who is still standing after the storm, there's a couple of things that we need. So if you're taking notes, jot this down. Here's the first one. Number one, I must hear God's voice. What do I mean by that? You see, when the storms of life hit, you've got to be convinced that I'm exactly where God wants me to be. And the only way I'm going to have that confidence is if I hear from God himself. Here's what's fascinating. Do you know that the Apostle Paul never had any intention of ever going to Philippi? He had a totally different plan in mind. But look what happened. Let's go to the beginning of Acts chapter 16, verse 6. It says, Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Paul had it in his mind to go to Phrygia and Galatia, which is basically central Turkey in what we know in our modern-day context. But it says he was prevented by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? You see, when you surrender your life to Jesus in faith, when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, an amazing thing occurs. The very Spirit of God, or the Holy Spirit, indwells you instantly. And it's as if he turns on the lights to your soul. You can understand Scripture. You receive the power to make right choices. And you can hear from God as he prods you to the places he wants to take you. And that was certainly the case with Paul. Somehow or another, the Spirit of God in him was telling him, don't go to central Turkey. So Paul regrouped and came up with plan B, verse 7. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Bithynia is basically northern Turkey. 
or what we now have as Istanbul. And the same thing happened. The second time Paul tried to go there, the, the Holy Spirit prevented them from doing so. What was going on here? Maybe this will help kind of explain. The Spirit of God speaks to us in a variety of ways. He speaks to us through Scripture. He speaks to us through prayer. He speaks to us through circumstances. He speaks to us through godly wisdom of others. And sometimes He just speaks through the movement in our own heart. Even though circumstances don't make sense, we just have this strong sense that God is wanting me to act. So think of it like this. Let's say you're getting ready to travel somewhere. And so you jump on the Uh, the airline's website to book your tickets. And so you pick your port of origin, you pick your destination city, you select your time frame, and you click on search flights, and the website crashes. So you start it back up, and you do it again, you type in all your information, and the website crashes again. So you pick up the phone, you're going to call the airline, and you get a voicemail that says, due to the high volume of calls, your estimated wait time is 27 days. Like, oh, for crying out loud. So you hang up the phone. And so then you ask some people in your small group, what they think. And they all begin to express a lot of hesitation about you traveling to this place at this time. So you decide you're going to commit it to prayer. And after several days of reading your scriptures and praying about it, you have this unease that's sitting right there in your soul. You just get the sense, I shouldn't be going to this place. That may give us an idea of how God's voice often works in our lives. Sometimes you hear people say, well, God told me. I've never had God tell me anything, but I've had God work in a lot of different ways. That's probably how it was with Paul. He had the circumstances going on. Maybe there was weather or some other issue that prevented him from going into these places. He was surrounded by godly companions who were giving him wisdom. And he was a man of prayer and a man committed to the scriptures. And somehow or another, the voice of God was telling him, Paul, don't go to Turkey. So then how did Paul end up in Philippi? Look at verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So now Paul receives this vision, and when he shares it with his companions, that was the green light they needed. Off to Macedonia we'll go into the city of Philippi. Who knows, maybe Paul's companions, they were praying, God, please make it clear to Paul tonight where we're supposed to go. And when Paul got that vision, it was now clear, God is speaking to me. I know where we need to go. And off they went. Now, with that framework in mind, let's fast forward to inside the prison cell where Paul and Silas found themselves after they freed the the girl from this demonic spirit. Their bodies would still be in shock from the beating they received. Maybe they were dizzy from the loss of blood. And yet, here they were in this prison cell, worshiping Jesus. I believe one of the reasons why they were able to do so is because they were convinced, I'm exactly where God wants me to be. And when you have that confidence, it makes it possible for you to withstand storms. So if you are somebody who is in a storm right now and, you, and you're connected to God through Scripture and you're committing things to prayer and you're obeying Him uh, with, with, with what you have in front of you now and you're facing turbulence, just know that if you're where God wants you to be, then you're going to have the strength to get through it. God, if you brought me into this, it's going to be God that brings me out of it. Paul was convinced 
that God led us here. And when you have that same kind of conviction, it's going to help you get through. Now, a lot of us are in places that we shouldn't be. That's a different story. And the other thing is that God is always speaking. The question is, are we listening? And the reality is that so many of us are not hearing the voice of God because, number one, we're doing things we know we shouldn't be doing. And so we're silencing that voice out of our life. Maybe you're running with a crew that is not godly and not wise. Maybe you haven't cracked open scriptures in months. Maybe your prayer life is nothing more than thank you, God, for this meal. Help me find my keys. Help me get an A. Help me ace the interview. And that's it. You're getting all the wrong voices in your life. But when you are committed and saying, God, I need to hear your voice, and then he brings you to a place, and then you face trouble, you can have the confidence, this is exactly where God wants me, and I'm going to be able to stand up in the storm. So number one, you want to be somebody who's still standing after the storm? Number one, I must hear God's voice. Here's number two. I must see God's hand. Now, I'm not talking about a giant hand coming out of the sky. I'm talking about recognizing that the events going on in your life are part of a larger plan that God is unfolding. Let's go back to that jail cell in verse 25. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. This small detail gives us an indication that Paul and Silas understood something bigger is going on even down here in the cell. How disorienting it must have been for those prisoners to hear the songs of praise echoing through those chambers of darkness. I'm sure this is not what they were accustomed to hearing. They were probably much more used to hearing this, the sounds of agony, the sounds of wailing, the sounds of cursing, but not the beautiful hymns of God, likely coming right out of the Psalms. But they were listening, and Paul and Silas began to probably get an indication, hey, something's going on down here. And that was further punctuated by this interaction, verse 27. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Does anyone else find it fascinating that not a single prisoner dashed for the exits? They all remained right there, including Paul. It was as if he was intentionally looking for why God brought that miracle, and he found his answer. And he realized God is up to something bigger than just my beating in this cell. And what was God up to? He was planting a church. The reason why we have the book of Philippians in our Bibles is because of this event right here. God started a church, and the charter members were a woman named Lydia, who was the first ever Christian convert in Europe, and the first person that Paul met when he landed in Philippi. This jailer, this jailer's family probably some of the prisoners who were there that day when their sentence was up. And who knows, maybe running around in the children's ministry was a little girl who used to be a slave and who used to be under demonic oppression. That's how the church in Philippi started, and God used Paul's pain to make it happen. See, key to being somebody who's still standing is being able to identify God's hand in our hardship. The problem I experience, the problem you experience, is that when pain hits, we often just see it as unfair. My kids say this all the time. It's not fair. 
I have one child in particular that every time I beat him in something, whether we're playing basketball outside or a board game or a video game, he says, this isn't fair. I say, what's not fair? You always win. I say, well, maybe it's because the old man still got it, which they hate to hear, by the way. <laughs> but this is often how you and I feel about pain. We look at pain as unfair or as random or as definitive proof, God doesn't love me. But what if pain is part of the plan? Are we able to see God's hand in the hardship? And there are so many in this room and watching online that you could testify that you've looked back over your life and you've made more sense of what you were going through. But what if we could see God's hand in the moment, not just in retrospect? What if, as you're going through the storm, you can see, okay, I'm convinced that I'm where God wants me to be, so what I'm facing right now has to be part of something larger that God is doing. And if we could just see God's hand in the hardship, that's going to be something that will help us to endure the storm, to be people who could say, I'm still standing Paul and Silas didn't suddenly get godly in that prison cell. They had been preparing for this moment for some time, and they were convinced God was up to something bigger than just what they were feeling. How do you be someone still standing after the storm? Number one, I must hear God's voice. Number two, I must see God's hand. Here's the third one. I must find God's strength. Listen, when you surrender to Jesus, you receive the Spirit of God in you, and that spirit carries with it a reserve of power that can never be taken away. You can beat the body, you can torment the soul, but you can never kill the spirit of God. And there is a reserve of power that's available to all who believe. Let's go back to verse 22 of Acts 16. It says, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Paul and Silas were put into a situation where they were powerless. They were behind locked doors. They were chained. They were put in stocks. They were under the surveillance of a jailer. There was literally nothing that they could do. And the reality is that for many of the hardships you and I face, they're still within our power to change. For example, maybe you have a terrible job. You still possess the power to walk away. Maybe you're in a bad relationship. You still possess the power to walk away. Maybe you're under crushing debt. You still possess the power to sell off other possessions. A lot of our hardships still fall within our realm of control. But what happens when God brings you to a place where there is literally nothing you could do by your own strength? You can't speed time. You can't undo a diagnosis. You can't change somebody's heart. There is literally nothing you can do. How do you respond then? When we operate on our own strength, that usually comes out in the form of complaining. It comes out in the form of blaming. It comes out in the form of regretting. But when we get to the end of ourselves, there is a reserve of God's strength that gives us the power that we don't have to do those things. We can choose to worship. It's there. This power is available 
for all who believe. And I think that's what prompted the Apostle Paul to write these words in Ephesians chapter 1. When he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. The same power that God used to resurrect Christ in the grave is the power available to the followers of Jesus to stand strong in any storm. I believe this is the power that Paul and Silas had that in the worst storm imaginable were able to sing songs into the night. And that power is available to all of you who are in Christ Jesus. There may be somebody in here who just yesterday, you said, I'm not going to make it through the day. But here you are in church on Sunday morning, and because of the Spirit of God, you're still standing. There may be somebody in here who's under the crushing weight of cancer. You may not have hair, but you're still standing. There may be somebody here who is walking through the darkness of uncertainty. You are not alone. You are not abandoned. Your answers will come, and you're still standing. Somebody in here says, my legs don't work anymore. Physically, you may be stuck to your chair, but spiritually, you're still standing. And there may be somebody in here who's saying, I just can't take the storms any longer. I'm tired of wave after wave crashing over the edge. I can't take another step. Because of the Spirit of God, yes, you can, you're still standing. And if you can find that strength, that will help. Friends, this is not possible by our own doing. It's only possible through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. How do you have that relationship? By assuming the same exact posture that jailer had, getting down on your knees and saying, what must I do to be saved? And the answer Paul and Silas gave then is the same answer that remains true today. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Have you ever done that? Now, I'm not talking about believing that God exists or that Jesus was a historical figure. I'm talking about surrendering your life to Jesus and saying, I can't save myself, but I believe you, Jesus, died in my place. Will you come into my life? Will you change me so that I can live for you? If you've never given your life to Jesus, let's do that right here and right now. This is not a game. The storm is coming. We need to be prepared for it. And so if you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to I help you do that right now. In just a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'll give you some words you could repeat after me, but here's the most important thing. You've got to believe it for yourself. And so I want to ask everybody to bow your heads, close your eyes, online, same thing. And you know you better than anyone else knows you. And so if you want to give your life to Jesus right now, I want you to repeat after me in the silence of your own heart. Just pray these words. Jesus, I believe. You pray him straight up to heaven. Jesus, I believe. I believe you are God. I believe you died in my place 
I cannot save myself. I need you, Jesus. Today I put my faith in you. I ask that you forgive me of all my sins. Change my heart so that I could stop walking in darkness and walk in your light. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. Now, if you're somebody who prayed that prayer for the first time today, I want to encourage you to do something about it. On the program that you received when you came in, there's a little perforated card here at the bottom. You could just tear that off, and there's a spot on here that says, I said yes to Jesus. You could just fill that out, and in just a moment, as our ushers receive today's offering, you could just drop that card right inside, and we'd love to follow up with you and help you walk through what it means to have a relationship with Christ. Those of you who are online, there's links that you could follow. Maybe you're somebody who prayed to receive Jesus already, but you don't know what your next step should be. Let us help you take that next step. Here's a way to do it. Text NEXT to 909-281-7797. This is our church number, and we have a staff member ready to receive that number and ready to receive that text message, and we'll correspond with you and help you get going. You might want to get connected to some godly people through community. We've got small groups available for that. You might want to just get off the bench and get, get going and help serve the church. Whatever the case is, text NEXT to 909-281-7797. Or you could stop by the next step table in our lobby. And there's somebody out there ready to have that conversation with you to help you out. Friends, I, I hope this message series has been a blessing to you. Next week, we're going to shift gears and, and talk about how to respond to one of the most difficult issues that we all face in life. So be thinking about who you can invite with you to come to church next week. Until then, if you want to be somebody who's still standing after the storm, we got to have some things true in our lives. I must hear God's voice. I have to be convinced that this is exactly where God wants me. I must see God's hand. I need to, I need to know that God is working even now in the circumstances, and I must find God's strength. I must tap into that power reserve only offered through the power of the Spirit in me. And if you do that, you're going to be the kind of house that can withstand the 250 mile an hour winds. You're going to be the kind of house that is standing on reinforced steel and rebar and the kind of house that after the storm wipes away everybody else, you say that my house is still standing. By the power of Jesus, I'm still standing. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Come on, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the fact that you don't leave us powerless, but that you have given us your very spirit. And God, I pray for anyone in here who's in the thick of it, Lord, that you would strengthen them for the days to come. In fact, if you're somebody right now and you're going through a storm and you say, Pastor, I need you to pray for me, would you just lift your hand right now? Say, I'm in, I'm in a storm right now, Pastor. Please pray for me all over the room. Pray for me, Pastor. I'm going through a storm. God, for these brothers and sisters, Lord, I just ask that you would give them exactly what they need as they walk this difficult road. Strengthen them, God. Help them to have a confidence in you. If you're somebody who prayed to receive Jesus for the first time today, would you lift your hand so I could pray for you? Say, today's the day that I finally surrendered my life to Jesus. Would you pray for me, Pastor? Yep, got you right there. Anybody else? Yep, got you right there. Lord, for this, these brothers and sisters who 
today surrender their life to you, God, I just ask that you would turn on the lights, open new doors, help them to see what it looks like to no longer live on their own strength and in their own power, but to live surrendered life to Jesus Christ. God, I pray that their lives would never be the same and that you would continue to change them and give them a hunger and a thirst to want to grow more for you. God, as we get ready to give over our offering, these financial gifts, Lord, I I pray that you multiply them, use these gifts to make an impact. God, I pray that our very act of giving money would be an act of trust, that we we trust in you, God, that you're going to take what we have and multiply it, and you're going to take care of our needs in the process. Lord, we need you. Lord, we love you. And we pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. And if you believe in your heart, then somebody say, Amen. amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.